You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Star Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesey. Join my co-host today, Joey Ikes. Uh, we're here to talk about the 20-19 victory over the Detroit Lions and uh, get us ready for the playoffs. We have a Week 18 game uh, this week against Washington Commanders in Washington. Uh, if they win, they will be the number two seed in the playoffs. If they lose, they still got a chance to be the number two seed with Philadelphia playing the Giants. Uh, lots to talk about. We're going to dive into it. Uh, we're going to start with this Detroit game, kind of talk over some of the talking points there before we get started. Joey, how was uh, the the new year for you guys? Uh, it was great, man. You know, Cowboys get a uh, a big controversial win, and then they, uh, you know, turn around and the weekend gets better with the Eagles loss on Sunday. Just uh, from a football standpoint, it went about as well as it could, and, you know, family and all that kind of stuff was great also. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's hope the Cowboys uh, – do something in 2024 that they haven't done in a really long time. Um, and that's make a deep playoff run. Um, I don't know. The the NFC right now is in an interesting spot because, I mean, nobody's really dominating, I guess. You know, the, the 49ers just got destroyed by the Ravens. The the Eagles are spiraling. You know, the Cowboys are doing okay, but, you know, there's some there's some question marks there. The Rams, who was, you know, looked at like, oh, they might be one of the better teams in the NFC. They kind of struggled with the Giants last week. So, like, at one time it was the 49ers, the Eagles, the Cowboys. You know, there was like three or four teams in the NFC that people were like, man, any of those teams could come out and, you know, make some noise and and reach a Super Bowl. But now it's kind of like – it's kind of a coin flip. And I guess San Francisco still kind of got the the top tag right now. But uh, the Lions were in that grouping too. And, we you know, we saw, you know, how – how they can make a lot of the same mistakes the Cowboys make last week uh, in the game. But uh, let, let's start there. Detroit Cowboys, 20-19 to 19 victory. Lots to talk about. Controversial, like you said. Um, what, what Just kind of some of the few, few you know, things you want to touch on from that game. I know, obviously, the the two-point conversion penalty that's been a big, big talking point. I mean, at this point, it's been covered so much. I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on it, but some of the things from a Cowboys perspective or playoff perspective uh, that we need to kind of touch on in that game, what, what do you got? Yeah, I think on that two-point play like you talked about, it's been covered pretty, you know, pretty in-depth at this point. Essentially, the Lions tried to get too cute, and it came back to bite them in the butt. That's, and the, the Cowboys covered the play, covered the guy who was declared eligible incredibly well, and didn't cover the guy who was ineligible. Imagine that, right? Um, and so, uh, so it's unfortunate that it went down like that because I think if 
the officials had declared 68 eligible, the Cowboys probably cover it up just fine. Um, and, you know, the play probably, you know, who knows what the result of the play is, but it probably it isn't as controversial as this. If if they just if if 68 just walks over and declares and 78 and 58 never go over there. But anyway, when you get to, you know, the rest of the game a little bit as a whole, if we, you know, kind of work backwards from the two point play, uh, you know, the defense on that two minute drive goes into uncharacteristic we're going to play soft zone coverage mode for that entire drive and gives up um gives up big uh big production all the way down the field this defense is just so funny to me like i've been pretty hard on them recently you know on the show and online and everything and like they actually came out and played really well for 98% of the game on Saturday and then like the time you needed them to, you know, just get a stop or keep them, you know, out of the end zone, you know, hold them to a third and long, they just could not do it. So it's just so funny how, you know, they've been pretty poor over the last few weeks and then they have a Detroit Lions team that has, you know, a quarterback that's playing well, a really good receiver, a really good tight end, two good running backs, and they come out and they pretty much play dominant for most of the game until you need them to and then they struggle a little bit so there's just so many aspects of the defense and just this team in general that's like I feel like we go way too negative when things aren't going great then we go way too positive when things are going good and it's just they're such a funny team I mean we'll get into the Mike McCarthy thing too but Mike McCarthy is just a funny head coach like the bads for Mike McCarthy are so bad but he's not consistently bad so it's just I don't know Right. From the, the bad is the bad is always when everybody's watching and it's on a prime time game and it's you know that kind of thing and but the good is just like week after week after week of just pummeling opponents and then the bad is just so bad yeah and it's in a big game and all that kind of stuff yeah it's just so funny like the best way to I don't know describe the team I guess is just funny like there's so many times you're like there's times where they're beating teams thirty to nothing just destroying them and you're just kind of like cackling like holy moly this team's great and there's teams there's times at the end of that game last week where you're just laughing you're like how are they this dumb to do all of this stuff this bad in the last minute and 41 seconds of this game to blow it <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, I part of me wonders on that last series the last real possession that the um that the giants had had before that was the possession where they threw the 63 yard pass to jameson williams and so part of me wonders if they just felt like, okay, if we don't give up a 63-yard bomb, we're going to be fine. They haven't been able to score on us in the red zone really all day. Nobody really has for three weeks. Like that's the thing that people, you know, we've talked a lot about the defense lately is they still haven't given up a ton of points. They've just given up long drives into the red zone and into field goal range and then teams kick field goals. Um, and sometimes long field goals. And so they probably felt like as long as we don't give up the 63-yard completion for a touchdown, we're going to be fine. And so instead they gave up 10 and then 25 and then 14 and then a couple of in- and then an incompletion and then another 15. And now all of a sudden they're in the red zone. And then Amon Ross St. Brown scores from 11 yards out and you're, you know, seven plays later or something like that, you're in the end zone. But I wonder if coming off of because they, you know, Detroit had the 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 drive with the big completion of Jamison Williams, which turned into a field goal. And then they had 
you know, a short little possession where they have to, uh, they have to turn around and punt. And then they have the Donovan Wilson interception. And that was really, that was all their possessions in the fourth quarter leading up to that. And I just wonder if that, that deep ball, the, the fact that they showed that ability to hit that deep ball, because Detroit is not a team that I think of as a team that's just going to kill you over the top. Um, they can make explosive plays because Ben Jonathan's a good play designer and St. Brown and Laporta and Gibbs and guys like that are, are good players who can make big plays, but they're not a, Hey, we're going to kill you over the top type team. So I wonder if that big play happening kind of went, okay, they've got that in their, in their arsenal today that we did maybe prepare for. Let's, you know, let's, the one thing you don't want to do on that drive is give up a 63 yard completion on the first drive, a play or two of that series. Um, and so I just, cause it was such a stark difference from the way they normally play defense, even in those end of game situations, they don't normally play that way. Um, so that was, that was concerning for sure. And then you go back to the drive before that and for the Cowboys, right. And, you know, we all talk about second and 14 in the past and, you know, Dak has talked about that by now, you know, Mike McCarthy has talked about that by now. It's just so easy there to just say, it, you know, and the the first and the tripping call is what the tripping call was. Just like the the seven the extra man reporting is what it was, right? That it was a, a terrible call. Everybody has acknowledged it was a terrible call. Um, but once you get to second and fourteen, like, wh- why are you? The thing that's more valuable at that point is time than yardage, or, or making the like has, time out. It, yes, the the time the time has to be the most valuable thing. And, and so again, like my my biggest thing is is their answer. You know, both of their answers were you know we felt like that was more the sure thing. I think that was what they came out with. But and why did you run the ball so much in the beginning of the game? Like, why did you change? I mean, like you just said with the defense, why did you change the entire script up? in the last two minutes of the game when time is more – they ran the ball a ton early in the game when they weren't getting anything with it. And then the only time that you were like, hey, it's probably a good time to run the ball, they decided to go for the quote-unquote sure thing that they didn't do for 90% of the game. Right. And then, and you know, the first, like you said, 75% of the game, they couldn't run the ball at all. And then they get into the third quarter, and they they make a couple of changes in the, the third and then early fourth quarter – and they start running more duo, more traditional zone runs. They get away from all the counters and traps and stuff like that that they have struggled so much with this year. And they finally get some things going on the ground. And, you know, Pollard goes for, you know, he goes for 10. He goes for six on the touchdown drive on back-to-back carries right before they throw the touchdown pass to uh, to uh, to Cooks. They finally had a little bit going in the run game. They get the ball back. And they run and they run the ball for seven yards on first down. Yes, there's the dumb tripping call, but it doesn't change the fact that you ran the ball for seven yards. Like you, you finally have a little bit going in the running game, and you go away from it on the one. Like I, I'm a big believer that like most of the time teams run the ball enough. Right. Like you don't need to run the ball a lot. I think teams run the ball enough in general. Most of the time they run it too much. Even the teams that are the most pass happy teams in the league run the ball enough. 
but there is always I can look at you know you can look at one to two plays where time is more valuable absolutely than than the yards or something time, like that and it, and it works the other way too time or timeouts yes the the clock management aspect of the game but you know it, spread it out a little bit and that second and fourteen play like just hand the you completed a pass for eleven yards hand the ball off. If you hand the ball off there and you get seven yards, now you're in third and seven. They just used their third timeout. Okay, may, then you have a decision to make. Okay, do we throw something over the middle to CeeDee Lamb or Jake Ferguson to try to get the first down, or do we just you know hand it off and take the 40 seconds off the clock and, and punt? Um, Hear me out. If, if you want to run the Mike McCarthy sprint right option special – and if nothing's there, Dak just trips over his feet and falls down. That's just as good too, <laughs> right? Yes, like, you're dead set on throwing the ball. The thing. Let's draw it up the right way, not the hey, this is probably a 70 percent chance it's going to hit, and you know we're throwing it, you know, pretty much out of bounds, and maybe our guy wins, maybe he doesn't. Like, have something in, involved. It's either hey, this is either going to be a quick, easy completion for seven or eight yards, or the quarterback can just eat it you know, fall fall down, take a sack, and we'll move on for the next play while they got to use a timeout or eat clock. Yeah, absolutely. As, uh, as J.T. O'Sullivan would say, why are we throwing a never-in-history ball um, in the uh, in the on second 14 with under two minutes left to play when the, the other team has one timeout left? Like, there there's and, – and I think the thing that, you know, Dak, as Dak does, kind of says, hey, I can't throw that ball. Sure. Like, and the thing that the thing I think, you know, I hope that, you know, Dak would have figured this out by now, several years into the Mike McCarthy tenure. But I think as good as Dak is pre-snap at diagnosing the defense, I think in some of those situations, he's got to diagnose the situation and he's, he's almost got to coach the coach. Yeah. Which, which, which is, I mean, let's, let's, let's turn to that. Like is, low as I've been on the defense and you know that's the biggest concern heading into the playoffs because you you can't do these things against the 49ers against I mean the Eagles don't look like a shell themselves right now but you can't do these things in the playoffs because if the Lions do the reporting the right way they win that game you lose in the playoffs you go home and then you're going Damn it, our head coach kind of blew that one. And you we it just at some point the guy who's been doing this for a really long time and got hired to take this team to the next level from that aspect, that's the reason Mike McCarthy was hired. He wasn't hired to come in here and call plays and run a you know innovative offense. He was hired to prepare the team better and coach the team better on game days than what Jason Garrett was doing. And I just we're in what you're four or five now and it doesn't I, you still see and like i said it's not consistent that's the one thing i'll give them credit is it's not like every week there's these big blunders but as i said when we started the show the blunders are bad and they're like first year head coach never done this before bad and that just can't happen from a guy who's been doing it as long as he has yeah there's so so much of because the cowboys have been a good team pretty you know for the most part for the last you know, decade or so, they've been a pretty good team. You know, they have down years when the quarterback gets hurt, but if they've had their quarterback since 2013, 2014, really since 2014, they've been one of the best teams in the NFL when they have their quarterback, period. Because of that, 
there are so many – and because of the history of the team and how long it's been since they've made any real noise in the playoffs, people will in September say, oh, it doesn't matter that they just beat this pretty good team 30-10 to 10 because they haven't done it in the playoffs. And, well, of course they lost to this really good team because that's what happens in the playoffs. Of course they would lose to these teams. But so much about what happens in the regular season doesn't translate to the playoffs, which is why I'm kind of like, which is why I kind of have the attitude that I do of like, hey, we're going to learn some about this team, but we're not really going to know until we get to January. Here we are, it's January, right? Um, They're going to be in the playoffs. We know that. Awesome. They're a really good team. Awesome. What are the things that could potentially trip them up? Um, And for me, it almost all sits on the head coach. Absolutely. Because we have seen, and, and part of that, a big part of that is because he put himself in the play caller chair, which, you know, we talked about whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of oxygen spent on that conversation. He put himself in the play caller chair because he put himself in that chair. Now, not only is all the clock management stuff, that he, you know, has been up and down with in the history of his career, but he also has that, and now he's got the play calling, and that has been an up and down venture throughout the course of the year too. I was gonna say, if he's calling plays like he was in that stretch of four or five games when you know they're using motion a ton, they're doing all the things right, you can forgive some of this. I mean, I, I can't forgive what happened at the end of the game. He was calling, you know, if he was doing what he was doing in that, you know, three or four game stretch where things were clicking on all cylinders, you know, I can't forgive what he did against Detroit. But I can go, hey, man, yeah, that was terrible, but you're doing a great job as a play caller. So, you know, let, let, we'll, we'll turn a little bit of a blind eye here. But when and you- not only that, but if if the off, you're, you're absolutely right. But if the offense is playing and he's calling offense at that level that he called from week eight post by through week, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever that was, that stretch you're talking about. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he can't manage the clock because they're going to beat the crap. It's not 20 to 19. (laughs) Yes. They're going to beat the crap out of teams, even playoff teams. They're going to just demolish people. If he calls plays the way he called them for that stretch, San Francisco can't play with this team. And that's a big statement, but that is the way that offense was playing combined with the way this defense is capable of playing. That is the super cyan mode that everybody is scared of San Francisco in. Maybe saying San Francisco can't play with them is a little strong, but they they will not get blown out by San Francisco yeah. if they're he's calling off that, that team. If they're- yes, this is this is a smooth path to the NFC Championship game against San Francisco team if he calls plays in the playoffs the way he called them in you know that stretch but if he calls plays like he did in the first four or five weeks or like it kind of feels like he's gone back to a little bit over the last two or three weeks um then all of a sudden all the clock management stuff matters a ton they're still going to be competitive because they're really good cd lamb is good enough Dak prescott is plenty good enough to keep them really tight in these games even if the structure of the offense is you know really kind of nasty and that's so it's it all sits on him because you know we'll go with the the uh the lions right the play calling for the lions on on saturday was you know not ultra inspiring no not not super great 
Um, but the end of the game stuff about deciding to go for two, three times in a row instead of kicking a, an extra point after the first one didn't work, because there's no way they had three two-point plays that they love. And once you get past a play that you absolutely love in that situation, stop going for two. Like there, Nobody has a, a, a second or a two-point conversion play from seven yards out that they absolutely love. And so once you get past the play that you love, stop going for two, kick the field goal, and go play overtime. So Ben Johnson wasn't great in that game. The team was still competitive. But the head coach made a bad call at the end of the game, and they wound up losing. For the Cowboys, all of that sits on Mike McCarthy. Yeah. And all of that sits on Mike McCarthy with a defensive coordinator over his shoulder who is pretty much universally adored, whether that you know adoration is um, merited from a scheme standpoint or not, or all that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily matter. He is universally adored by Cowboys fans pretty much and definitely adored on the ownership front office side of that building. And so there is a lot sitting on Mike McCarthy coming up over the next month that um, as crazy as it sounds after we were sitting here in the middle of the season talking about how amazing this team was playing, and how well-prepared they always were, and the, the scheme was unbelievable, and all this kind of stuff. If he if he manages a game like that in the playoffs, combined with, you know, I mean, Dak had .3 EPA per play in the game, and, it, and, and that was with a, a fumble that cost him six, almost six EPA, or ex, six expected points at the goal line. Um, so, I mean, he was you know right on the verge of, you know, one of those just ridiculous, you know, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 EPA per play games. Um, if if the game goes, if a playoff game is managed the way that one was, and the play calling is kind of, eh, you know, it, it was okay. You know, CD went off and did CD things, and Dak made Dak did Dak things, and and they went, they were, you know, but they lost because a playoff game was managed the way that was managed. You know, I. It wouldn't be hard to see Jerry saying, man, we just can't keep doing this, which yeah, is which is crazy considering where we were six weeks ago. Right, and that's the thing. I think coming out of – it was before the Buffalo – whenever the report came out that, you know, they were talking about an extension with McCarthy, you know, people were asking on Twitter, like, would you – because, again, I'm, I, people know I don't like McCarthy, but during that six or seven stretch game, like I was like coming around a little bit. I was like, okay, you know, he's figured it out. And we've talked about it on the show and there's been whispers that, you know, maybe it wasn't McCarthy driven change. Maybe there was, you know, two, three, four voices that said, Hey, I don't care if you want to do this or not. This is what we got to do if we want to get there. And, uh, you know, I was coming around on McCarthy a little bit and people were like, would, would you bring him back? And I was like, man, I don't know. If you'd asked me this question four weeks ago, I said one thousand percent no, you know. But right now, it's like with what he's doing as a play caller, it's like in the perfect world, you'd love to demote him as a head coach, have him be a good offensive coordinator, and then have a head coach that's better at managing the game. Obviously, that's never going to happen, but like that's the perfect world. But I mean, my overall response was: if he's going to continue to call plays like this in this offense with these players. I'm willing to do it because that's how you win games in January is with good 
dominant offense and they were dominating on the offensive side of the ball. And like you said, we knew the it's not like the game management issues were completely gone. They were still there. You know, the, the loss in Philadelphia, you know, there, there was stuff there that, you know, you were, you were kind of frustrated with, but the play calling aspect, the design aspect, the game plan aspect was so good that you were like willing to put up with some of those, you know, game management issues. And just, like I said, if those are going to stick and the play calling is going to revert back to what it was in Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and then the first four or five weeks, then it's a no, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. Like you have to do something different at that point. Cause you know, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get that edge from a head coaching perspective on game day where he's going to have, you know, everybody prepared, no lack of whether it's McCarthy or not, the penalties won't be there. There won't be any, you know, stupid, game management stuff you know you're not going to win that battle in most cases you'll play some bad head coaches here and there where McCarthy has the edge but for most part going into the playoffs you're not going to have a edge at head coach and if you're not going to have the edge at play caller then there's really no argument to you know sign him to an extension because you're not getting an edge in any aspect of the game he needs to get back doing what he was doing in that six or seven week stretch if he wants to come back you know and, and remain the, the coach in my opinion and again we haven't seen it the last three weeks. We didn't see it in the week. Half of the year he's been good. Half the season it's been bad. Now we're getting into those games that you can't afford for him to not be the good version of Mike McCarthy. Because if you don't get that, it's tough to see, you know, again, when you're when you're having your quarterback, which we'll, maybe we can touch on that, the MVP conversation. When you have your quarterback play better than anybody in the NFL right now at quarterback. And, yes, I will – again, I'm a Dak – everybody knows I love Dak and – I know Lamar's playing well, but if you watch the football games and you look at the advanced metrics, to me, there's no question who is playing at the MVP level between those two guys. Um, Lamar obviously has a great case. I'm not taking that away from him. But when you look at all the stuff we're talking about right now, who Dak has to make up for a lot of the mistakes with as his play caller and head coach, and the fact that it's not you know been a consistent – well-designed offense and you're getting up and down results from the defense and you're second in the league in drops. Like to me, it's not a conversation who should be it. I don't think that Dak's going to win MVP, but if you need the quarterback to play at an MVP level to win a 2019 game against the Detroit lions, because of a lot of the mistakes you're making throughout the game as a head coach and play caller, that's an issue. And I think it's something that, it's, and like you said, it's tough because they've been so successful. They've made the playoffs back-to-back-to-back years. But at some point, you just got to look at the big picture and go, hey, we can't be super results-oriented here. We have a good, talented roster that we've built. You know, we're not saying that anybody could get this team in the playoffs, but we have to go into a playoff game here soon with this talented roster where we feel like we have the edge at offensive coordinator and head coach. And I just don't think that they can say that going into the playoffs right now. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and it's the you know, and we we had a little bit of this conversation early in the year, you know, coming off of the Arizona game, right? Where it's like, man, if this is what this looks like, like what once he made the decision to become the play caller, like he attaches his job title to a lot of different things, right? And you know, the play calling thing got got better, right? Like even the last couple of games has been better than what it was against Arizona and San Francisco and some of those early games. Um, But it's, it's so hard to separate and sparse out, especially because the head coach has so much say in things like personnel here in the way, you know, who knows how much of a say, you know, Mike McCarthy has in the additions of like John Park and John Park's team, you know, in analytics and things like that. And they've really had, they've had almost no, you know, they started late summer. So who knows how much of a chance they've had to put their, you know, put their claws in some of the player personnel and other things like that, that like you want to see be able to happen. And the trends for player personnel have been so good for this team for the last few years that like are like, it's so hard to make a decision on head coach in this franchise, particularly because they have their hands in so much. And now when you add the play caller thing to it, it's like, is any one individual aspect enough to move on from all the other individual aspects? Um, Especially when you hear like, you hear the players and the reporters and stuff like that, that are in the locker room on a daily basis say like, this is the best locker room environment they've ever been around. Um, and you know, a big part of that is, you know, the quarterback and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but you know, the head coach gets, gets some credit for that stuff. And, you know, the roster is as good as any in the NFL and in this franchise, you know, the head coach has a big say in that. And so he gets a lot of credit for that. And, you know, he deserves credit for letting Dan Quinn be Dan Quinn on defense. And he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of things. But like you said, if you continue to go into these playoff games in January, and feel like the head coach and the, the the other side of this coin is that every head coach at every level of football every week makes stupid decisions 100%. And like and we saw it something as simple as, you know, the college football playoff semifinals this weekend, right? Um you see John Harbaugh go for fourth down They complete the pass, you know, big run down the sideline, puts them in, or not John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, you know, complete the fourth down pass to the running back, you know, big gain, even with the block in the back, first down, they go down, score a touchdown, you know, get back in the game, go to overtime win. And then you see Washington, who, you know, I was tweeting during the game, like this Washington team is a blast to watch. I don't watch Washington very much, you know, I live in Texas, they're, (laughs) they play, they play after my bedtime most of the time. Um, But that team was a blast to watch the play calling, the decision, making everything was just, they, they weren't committing penalties. It was awesome to watch that team for 98% of the game. And then 
all of a sudden they get in that two minute mode. And it's like all it's like none of these coaches played enough Madden or NCAA growing up. <laughs> because like and, and you know, I say that half joking, but like think about like, you know, me, right? I started playing football video games on NFL quarterback club 94 with Joe Montana in a Kansas city chiefs uniform on the cover on Sega Genesis. And I played football video games religiously every year from 1994 until probably 2006 or no, excuse me, 2010 when I graduated from college is probably when I stopped, you know, regularly playing football video games. And I still played a little bit, you know, as an adult, but way less. That's like 14, 15 years worth of just hundreds of reps of end of game scenarios. So, yes, Mike McCarthy's been an NFL head coach for 12 years. So that means he's been a head coach for something like 200 games. You know, I probably played 200 games a month when I was 12 years old and got all of those reps. So it's, I kind of joke about the Madden thing, but I do think that, like, if I were, you know, in an NFL front office, my NFL head coach would play Madden in the offseason over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And he would have his analytics guy sitting right next to him, and they would be having these conversations. Okay, what do we do? When should we use a timeout? How does all it – you know, and you can play five-minute quarters where almost every situation is an end-of-game situation, right? Like You can get them really fast. But anyway, that, that's an aside. Um, every coach, you get into these late-game situations – and every coach messes them up. You know, something as simple as, I don't remember the exact situation in the Washington game, but essentially they had a situation where Texas was out of timeouts and there was, you know, call it a, two minutes left in the game, something like that. And if Washington had just knelt down on the ball three times, they were going to punt the ball back to Texas with like 15 seconds left on the clock. And they were going to pin them down at their 10-yard line or something like that. With 10 or 15 seconds left. Essentially game over at that point. Barring barring a miracle. Game over if you do that. Instead, they decide to run three plays. Try, they're trying to get a first down so they can end the game with the ball. Which is sort of, you know, usually the best option. But in this situation, Texas is already out of timeouts. Just kneel on the ball three times, take all of the risk out of the situation, punt the ball back to him with 15 seconds left, and you win the game. Instead, they run three plays, and the running back winds up getting hurt on the third run. It stops the clock. They're forced to use their own timeout to stop the clock, and now Texas has you know a minute and a half or something like that to drive down the field and you know almost score a touchdown. All of these teams, regardless of how well they play in the first 58 minutes, all of these head coaches are going to make errors. Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, these guys make errors at the end of games. But at some point, if the guy is making the errors in every close game that you play, and it's consistently costing you these games, at some point, is that enough to turn your back on the play calling to turn your back on all of the other stuff that has been pretty good and decide you want to move on to somebody else. I don't know. And I'm really glad that's not my job to make those decisions for sure.
I just know we'll move on from it after this, but I just know when I thought Dak's legs snapped on the field in that. Oh my goodness. The amount of painful things I would have said about Mike McCarthy if that uh if that had happened would have been I would have I I, I might have gotten canceled. <laughs> oh man. Is that what, I mean I messaged you on Twitter afterwards like I went back and watched the next drive. It was a play it was the drive before the last drive of the game and like you know he he gets tangled down ugly. He drops the football as he's going to the ground and I was like I mean, I think everybody, for the most part, was like, there's the year. <laughs> season's, season's over. And he got up, and he, like, you know, you could tell he was, like, dinged up a little bit. And then um, I watched the next drive, and I went back and watched it, like, closely. And he wasn't putting a ton of pressure on his leg. And all I could think about, this is how my diabolical mind thinks, is all I could think about was Tony Romo coming out of Washington in 20... 20- 12, 20, well, I can't remember what year it was, but one of those years, yeah. Finished the game, you know, it seemed fine. And then three days later, it comes out, you know, he has the, what was it, vertebrae in his back or whatever, was jacked up. And, you know, they were head, head, getting ready to head into the playoffs, whatever it was. And I was like, that's just all I could think about for about two or three days. But yeah. reached out to Thank some you. people. It sounds like he's fine. Um, but man, it was not a, uh, it was not a fun day or two for me as I was trying to figure out if the quarterback had a, sprained knee or jacked up leg that he was puffing it out on to get that game over with. But it sounds like he's all good. Again, injury reports can come out this week. We'll see if he pops up on it. We'll see what their plan is going into Washington. Um, you know, they, they have the Washington commanders this weekend, uh, three twenty five Texas time on Sunday on the road. Um, obviously Washington's really struggling right now. Um, not sure if we're going to get Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett, but when a win against Washington, Cowboys lock up the number two seed. Um, can still lock up the number two seed with a loss if the Philadelphia Eagles also lose. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter. We'll touch on this briefly. You know, some people prefer some reason to have the fifth seed over the number two seed because of a matchup. But I think anybody who, I mean, not saying this anymore, but anybody who has any football acumen about them can watch this team play on the road and watch this team play at home this year and go, yeah, we'll take the home playoff games over being a slightly better matchup um, in the first round. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's not even close, really. I don't, it's, I not, believe, it's not close I can't at all. It's a talking point. Right. There are so many factors about being the number two seed that are significantly better than being the number one seed. For one, if you're the number two seed, you're guaranteed two home playoff games if you win. Basically, you're guaranteed home playoffs until at least the NFC Championship game. And if, you know, there's a there's a team or two in those lower seeds that, you know, I wouldn't put it past, you know, you mentioned the Rams before. I wouldn't put it past the Rams to go out and play, you know, the way Matt Stafford and Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup are playing with the way Sean McVay coaches, I will never count them out of a game. No, absolutely so not. I, I I wouldn't count them out of going into Santa Clara and beating the 49ers. You know, it would be a it would be a huge upset, but I wouldn't count them out. And if that happens, now all of a sudden you're playing LA in Dallas, where you've already just wiped the floor with them in Dallas in an NFC championship game, potentially. Like, yes, please. Hey, your your, <laughs> your your percent chances to win the Super Bowl more than double when you're the number two seed compared to the number five seed. 
Yes, like and it's it's, it's little things. It's twelve yeah. point seven if you're the number two seed. Yeah, it's little things like you never know when they're going to put you on the schedule in the playoffs. You're the Cowboys. They're going to put you in one of the prime time spots, which means there's a pretty good chance you play on Saturday on wild card weekend and or the division round weekend, which means, hey, if we don't have to travel, that's a huge advantage in those weekends. Especially, you know, you play a late game Saturday in Washington. You're going to turn around, and then if you play if you play Saturday night in the playoffs, that's a, a relatively short – that's a, a whole day less turnaround after you traveled the weekend before. Why on earth would you want to have to turn around and fly back to the East Coast again to play Tampa Bay in the first round of the playoffs on a short week with, you know, this team's got a, you know, it's a relatively young team with a lot of, you know, young, exciting players. There's some, there's some old cats on this team too now. <laughs> like, you know, this, the way that this offensive line and, and you know, Stefan Gilmore and Brandon you Cooks. Think it's and, a co- you think it's a coincidence that Tyron Smith has a back injury after, what, three straight road games? probably not. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, if you can just say, all right, after we play Washington, we're going to be in, in Dallas for at least the next three straight weeks worth of days. We, we may have to travel on a Saturday to San Francisco after three weeks to go to the NFC championship game. But if we can guarantee we don't have to travel, which means we can practice inside every day because we're going to play on turf inside for two straight weeks. So now we don't have to go outside into the cold, yuck, kind of nasty Texas weather, the way the weather gets it. It's not, you know, Buffalo, but it gets wet and nasty. And, you know, you don't want to be outside in that crap. You're not going to get good work in that crap, but you're going to have to go out there to expose yourself to the elements you might play in if you're on the road playing in, you know, Philadelphia in the second week of the play, you know, in the divisional round of the playoffs. Instead, you just get to practice indoors you know, control your environment. We know how well this team plays at home. Like, there is – this team absolutely needs to be able to play at home for a couple of weeks at this point, considering the way things have gone on the road, just to avoid – think about the division round conversation if you're having to go on the road in the divisional round right now. Oh, oh they can't They can't beat good teams. They can't play with good teams on the road. And they can't win the divisional round. They've never been to the NFC Championship game in 30 years. Like, all of that narrative stuff going against you shouldn't affect you. But it does. This team has freaking rabbit ears, man. They hear everything. Like, they're, they will hear it. There is there's zero reason why anybody, and I haven't seen very much of that online, so I'm a little bit shocked that oh, there are yeah. people out there legitimately saying, oh, yeah, we should – they need to be the number five seed so they can play Tampa Bay instead of playing Seattle. Screw that, man. Yeah, people people are I mean, it's like a legit thing. I can't I, I literally cannot believe it. It's 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 I mean, look at the difference in the I mean again, small sample size, but look at the difference of the and none, none of them ended the way you wanted them to, but look at the difference of the score when you had San Francisco at home in the playoffs and then when you played San Francisco on the road this year. <laughs> Quite yes. quite a big difference between the way that you played, performed, and the overall outcome of that game. So if you if absolutely again, you know, if you want to go be, and again, you'd have to go on the road. To, I'm not saying you wouldn't have to go on the road to San Francisco, anyways, but you have to do that much earlier in the the process. 
you know, if, if we got to go on the road, we said this a couple weeks ago, if we got to go on the road to San Francisco to play in the NFC Championship game and they lose, I don't think many people are going to be like, this is a disaster of a season. Um, I think most people would be like, hey, we made that next step. Let's continue to build, see what happens next year. But uh, all right, real quick before we get out of here, um, kind of rapid fire this. I know it's been, you know, we're going to touch – Cowboys sign Lyle Collins. Do you think Lyle Collins is – signed in here just as insurance do you think he's signed in here because they see that you know tyler it sounds like the tyler smith injury stuff isn't a big concern is he a depth piece what, what's your you know your your quick point of view of the lyle collins signing and is it a right tackle thing is it a left guard thing where, where are you at with that i think it's probably all of it right it's probably like this guy, you know, you're going to pay one week of veteran minimum base salary plus a playoff share, potentially. Like, it, so it's literally free. And he's on the practice squad. He's on the practice squad. So it's like, those guys make like eight or ten grand a week or something like that. You know, if he's making regular base, you know, practice squad pay. So it's it's 10000 bucks. He can be elevated – Pretty much as many times as you want at this point because you're so close to the end of the season. He's not. He's not going to get elevated this week because he's not going to be ready. So you know, right. you're, you're going to have the wild card round, the divisional round, the NFC Championship game. You know, to to elevate him because he's got three elevations. Right, and then you you know you can sign him to the active roster if he's right. if he's good enough to be playing. You can easily at that point you know because once you get to once you get past this next Monday, anybody who gets released can't be signed till after the Super Bowl anyway. Right. So it's not like you're risking losing somebody on waivers to another team if you re- if you release, you know, a bottom of the roster, you know, play somebody on IR for one game. Right. It, it, yes. <laughs> you know, you can, you know, you can let Peyton Hendershot hit waivers and sign him back after the Super Bowl or something like that. But it's extremely cheap insurance with a guy who you know has friends in the locker room, you know is familiar with the offensive line room, you know has played at an acceptable starter level in the NFL for a long time. He was not very good in Cincinnati. We can all acknowledge that. If he was, he would still have a job. But he has been good when playing with these guys before. And so if you can get, and I've talked about these kind of mercenary signings before, if you get one really good game out of him in the playoffs because, you know, Terrence Steele twists an ankle on the third snap of a game, and now all of a sudden he's got to come in and he maybe he's a better right tackle option than um, than Chuma Idoga, yep. or maybe you're dealing with, maybe you're worried a little bit about the, the left guard with his foot right now, and you're worried, okay, maybe Chuma Idoga is going to have to play left guard for us. Um, and so now all of a sudden we have no tackle depth, uh, no established tackle depth. So, okay, let's bring in Lyle Collins, spend a couple of weeks, let, you know, Britt Brown get him into shape. And if he wants, like if he's here and wants to play football and, and maybe the best thing for him is that he hasn't been playing football for the last few months because, you know, part of the issue with him was he, I believe it was a hip injury he had and he just couldn't move anymore. He tore but, his ACL, I think, at the end of the year last year. So I think I've heard or read that he's a year removed from a torn ACL. So it just hasn't been healthy, you know, over the last year or two. 
Right. And so, like, and you know, he messed up the hip in Dallas, and then all of a sudden he couldn't move anymore, had a pretty bad season, and they cut him, right, the next offseason. Um, and – but if he's if he spent the last, you know, year rehabbing that ACL and working his way back and, you know, and he's got some mobility back, maybe he gives you a good game in the playoffs against Aiden Hutchinson in Dallas in the divisional round – and you're able to win a game that you probably shouldn't have won because you're playing a backup tackle against Aiden Hutchison, and and you're able to make it to that NFC Championship game we're talking about because you have this guy who you paid ten grand on the practice squad. Like to me, they should do this. You know, the 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 meme online yesterday became who who else that used to play for the Cowboys and it got you know Matt Johnson and Sean Lee and all these other guys. Let's bring them all back on the practice squad for one week so you could do this kind of thing with them. But, like, why would you not? There, there's zero downside to making the signing. There's no cap implications to speak of. There's there's none. There's no roster. You're not cutting a young player, to, risking him for waivers to sign this guy. It's literally zero risk. Why would you not do it? That's kind of my take. And just to ask him, because it was, again, a talking point on Twitter, Dalvin Cook, any interest in bringing him in for the same reasons? Um. I wouldn't be – I said like, oh. I said no because I don't think he's very good, and I think, you know, people are like, well, you, you can't just rely – same reason we just talked about Lyle. Like, if Tony Pollard gets hurt, what's your answer? Rico Dowdle's banged up, and it's like – I saw John Owning talking about on Twitter. If that's a reason, go to somebody's practice squad this week before the game and just go get Miles Gaskin or go get somebody who's, like, actually, you know, uh, serviceable. I mean, I just – nothing Dalvin Cook's done over the last year – year and a half, two years, has said that he can do – and he's not a scheme fit. That was another John, thing John brought up is he's an outside zone runner and they don't run a ton of outside zone. So it <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a schematic or what the player has shown over the last year standpoint. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit indifferent on the Dalvin Cook thing. I, I don't love the idea for all the reasons that you talked about. Um, but on the other side of that coin, if Rico Dowdle is going to be not available for a number of weeks – I do think that there there may be a, be a need to do something at running back yeah. just because I don't think Tony Pollard is playing well enough. And, you know, there's the scheme issues and the blocking issues and all that kind of stuff. But aside from that, I don't think Tony Pollard is playing well enough down to down that he can be an 18 to 20 touch player like he's yeah going to be in an offense if you don't have another running back. Um, and so – I think they should do something at running back unless they know Rico's, you know, going to play this week in Washington or something like that, um, or going to be ready for the wild card round. But I, I don't necessarily think Dalvin Cook is that answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, the I, other I, side of that one. Like I said, like I, I mean, I love this week. They, I think they've done it a few times. But like I'd love to see Malik Davis get a little bit of run. You know, like we, yes, he got run last year and looked decent in his games that he was playing in preseason and a couple times he got some reps in the regular season like I mean again I know he was a big story but like Deuce Vaughn hasn't done anything this year you know you haven't really given Malik Davis an opportunity like if Rico Dowdle's banged up and you want him you know sit him to get him healthy like give Malik Davis nine to eleven touches on Sunday against the Washington Commanders and see you know if he can provide a little bit of a spark because Again, like they, there's no there's no one denying that we're saying we're set at running back. We're just saying that we don't think Dalvin Cook is the guy that if we have an option to bring somebody in, like he's he's the definition of just a name at this point. Like I think the Lyle Collins thing, people are like, well, that's just a name too. And it's like, well, no, like 
he's a scheme fit. He's played here. Like he can play multiple positions for you. He's familiar with people on the team. He's familiar with the coaching staff. Like there's some more, there's some more things going in his favor there than the Dalvin Cook thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I do think that whether it's Malik Davis or whether it's somebody on the outside, they do need to bring in an additional body at running back just because Pollard, like I said, I don't think he's an issue, but he's not really, he's not really, you know, elevating himself to the way we thought he could to where it was like, Hey, we don't, you know, it's going to be Tony Pollard and nobody else. Like you, you're kind of needing some additional help there at the running back position with kind of how he's played over the last six to seven games. Yeah. There's still way too many. And this was my issue has been my issue with Tony Pollard getting, you know, the, the argument that Tony Pollard needs more and more and more and more work over the course of his entire career. There are still way too many minus ones and minus threes and those a three yard run doesn't look great. It's not a fantastic play, but it doesn't kill you the way a minus three does. And if there are six minus threes for every 14 plus 14 that he's getting you, it's a net negative for the run game from a yardage standpoint, but it's a huge, it hurts your offense so much to be off schedule that much. And they're, they're going to hand the ball off to the running back some, you have to get you have to be efficient as a running back in this offense. They don't they don't need a running back to be explosive in this offense. They have so many ways to be explosive. They don't need a running back to be explosive. They need a running back who can go out and when they hand the ball to him on second and three, he's gonna go get he's not gonna lose three yards and make it third and six or third and seven. Or when they hand the ball to him on first and ten, it's not going to be first and thirteen or second and thirteen. That it's going to be second, even nine is better than you know. It's not a great play. You don't want to run the ball on first and down a lot. All the caveats, but they've got to have some consistency at running back, and they're just they're not getting it right now at all. Um, and it's that's really been his issue since he got to the league. But nobody talked about it because he was getting eight touches and one of them was a 30-yard run every week and everybody wanted to see more of that. Yeah, and we'll, we'll close it with this. Um, you know, for people who – I know a lot of people have been complaining about the running game here recently. Um, I think that this is – this is this sums it up very well. Um, Tony Pollard had 46 of his 49 rushing yards come after contact on Saturday against the Detroit Lions. Um, a grand total of three rushing yards before contact, 94%. That was from Tom Downing, everybody on Twitter. Um, so that kind of explains you. It's, you know, again, we can, we can maybe want Pollard to catch that, you know, Texas route, or we might want him to do a little bit more, you know, with, with what he's doing. But a lot of the issues with the running game right now are not a running back related issue. It's schematic. It's offensive line. It's, it's, it's a, you know, multitude of things, but it's not Tony Pollard is your, is not your main concern there. Um, and I do want to clear it up. I guess I did say that the Cowboys can still lock up the number two seed with the loss in Philadelphia win. I think it would be number three seed at that point if the Detroit Lions win since they have the record. I just want to clear that up before people yell at me on Twitter. But uh, that's all the time we got for today. We went a little long today. Um, like I said, last last game of the year this this weekend against Washington Commanders, and we'll get into the playoffs. Um, despite, you know, a, a little rough three, four-week stretch here from the Cowboys and not playing – up to the standards that, you know, we thought they could over this, this stretch. I think that, you know, it's still pretty exciting going to the playoffs with a really good shot to be the number two seed, um, you know, winning the NFC East, if they can take care of business this weekend and then going to going into the playoffs, relatively healthy, knock on wood. Um, 
and you know comes down to what can you do in the 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 months of the new year um when in some of these games they just haven't come out on the the good end of the stick on here recently you know can they make a little bit deeper run we're going to find it out we're going to talk about it all on the talking the star podcast thank you guys so much for listening we will be back next week on the talking the star podcast to preview wild card round we'll have the opponent we'll have the date the time all that good stuff so we'll be back next week talk about the uh, 2024 nfl playoffs um really excited to, to dive into that and get ready for hopefully what's going to be the biggest and longest cowboys playoff run um in my lifetime so look excited for that we'll be back next week thank you guys so much for listening we are talking to stuff.